FM Breakfast Show with the Double L Team, Lyle and Lawson. Welcome everybody, you're listening here on 87.6, 87.8 or 88, right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network. And this morning we're giving a very special welcome to those listening in Collie, Western Australia on 88. We are giving a special shout out to those from Gladstone, Queensland oh, on 87.6 and a welcome to those listening in Ararat, Victoria, also on 88. So special welcome to all of you guys. Lawson, what are you thankful for this morning? I am just a special. Lyle. You are a specimen. I am just an athlete. You should you should have seen. When you said specimen, I thought of something else. What do you mean? Like Well, I won't say. What were you gonna say I was like a A specimen. A bug or like a Well, a specimen. We won't we won't we won't go there. We won't go there. <laughs> I'm I thought a human of something being. Else. <laughs> no, oh dude, I was like I was I was just like I finished work last night. I went out to our local shopping center because it's like late night, you know. Bought some stuff, and then I was like, you know what? Like dribbling for like an hour to like 10 p.m., and then I went home. And it was, and, and, and it was so. Fun. Someone called me during that time, and they're I'm like, like panting, and they're like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "Oh, I'm just practicing basketball," and they're thinking like I'm trying to try out for the NBA or something. They're like, "What are you doing?" It's like. 9.30 at night. Nine, this is this is what Lawson does, 9.30 at night. But because, this is... By himself, mind you. By myself, but this is... he has is, no friends. This, <laughs> this is what we call the... Mm, not not the plight, because it was really enjoyable, but this is, this is just single life. You summed up. 9.30 at night, I'm going to go out and dribble a basketball. That's what... You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. It is the breakfast show here this morning. We've got Lawson who's about to bring us our quiz. We've also got the boss here this morning. Hey, guys. Uh-huh. Robbie, this performance Robbie's, review. Yeah, Robbie's, Robbie's come, to, come, come to see how we're doing and whether we get to keep our jobs or not. Well, it is the start of a new financial year. <laughs> so it is. Today is the day. Uh, Robbie, officially, officially, what's your position with uh, Faith FM? I'm the content promotions manager. The content promotion. So your job is to promote what we do. Uh-huh. Two things. One's promoting what you guys do. So you've got to... Look, you know, look better than yeah. you are, sort yes, of thing. Yes, yes, yes. Uh-huh. It's not really that hard because you guys are awesome. As oh, we just talking. Come on, come on. He's buttering uh, us up before the axe comes in. You know, we pay well, well. There are some, <laughs> there are some budget constraints. So. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and the second thing I do is I oversee content. So we we're all about creating new shows, local engagement, all that sort yes. of good stuff. So it's mm. pretty. It's an exciting job. So yeah, if you want to do awesome. a if you want to do a show here on Faith FM, talk to me. Talk to Robbie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Email me, Robbie at faithfm.com.au. Absolutely. <laughs> there you go. Always, always looking for new content, right? Always looking for new content. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes. Local content. Interesting content. Spiritual content. Mm. How yeah. much how much equipment does do, does somebody need if they are a member of a local church and they've got a few microphones and a bit of a sound desk? Is that Yeah, enough? look, we ha- we have people from like the high end full on production studio doing content all the way down to, believe it or not, an iPhone. Okay, so if you if you've got an iPhone yeah. or you've got a smartphone, yep. you can do content. Android as well. Yeah, you can do either phone, either smartphone. Ah, uh, no, no. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, no discrimination. We have got people who are cre- actively creating some content for Faith FM right now using their phone. There you go. You've got the Faith FM app. We've got a thing called Pocket Studio on the app, and they record stuff right there on the phone. Do a show, guys. Have yeah. a think about it. What would you like to talk about on Faith FM? Get in contact with Robbie and do a show. Mm. It'd be awesome. All right. That's awesome. awesome. All right, let's have our first clue for the quiz, or first question for the quiz today. In Matthew 8, demons caused the ruin of a herd of 
what? 0491-064-669 is the number to call or text. Of course, we have come to the end of the week. And so that means the draw is happening today. Guys, get in 0491-064-669. You will go into the draw if you answer this question correctly to win thoughts from the Mount of Blessings, the awesome and expensive leather edition that we have. But again, that question was, in Matthew 8, demons cause the ruin of a herd of what? All right. If you know the answer, you know the number to call. Got a text message coming through from Freco here. He says, wow, Lawson has become a legend. Oh, uh, uh, what? In his own lunchbox. It is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's and right. Basketball. That's right. Oh, dude. Playing basketball by himself. The, the reason I do night. is because I'm so bad. Like, I just want to <laughs> get better just so I can be as good as my friends. Um, all right. Hey, let's have a look at some positively different news. This is an interesting one. This is a story that's kind of been going on for, for, for a little bit, uh, but now has kind of come to a head. It's about Airbnb. Yes. Now, Airbnb is an interesting company because, you know, from all all looking, you know, all optics, they look like a, a, a great company. At the same time, they've just like pretty much every company in 2022, they've ever, you know, experienced re- reduction in their stock price because that is what is happening in the global market. Um, but Airbnb recently released a policy, like by recently, I mean like yesterday. I saw this. Saying that this is epic. you are no longer allowed to have parties in Airbnbs. Yes. If you have a party, you're done. You That's go. it. It's they, over. They have banned parties. Now, on the flip side to that, they've actually uh, opened up a restriction that was that, that was prevalent during the pandemic, that you can only have 16 people in an Airbnb. Now you can have as many people as you like. But if you have a party, you're done. You're out. You're banned. Well, that weekend is over. <laughs> I'm so disappointed. I'm gutted. You know, it's an interesting thing because we had neighbours at a previous place that we were living at who had a mansion and it was their uh, weekender. Mm. And so they used it as an Airbnb. And the amount of damage that that house got hit mm. with on a regular basis because it, being a large place, of course, people would hire it out so that they could have large groups and have large parties, mm. which would be noisy and late and all that kind of thing. And the damage bill was just off the charts. Yeah, and especially like you were living up near like wineries and stuff, so you can imagine oh, yes. the kind of people who are like <laughs> coming home after a late night to have a have a party in a mansion in a winery. Like that's that's gnarly. And essentially, like I see it like this: they're like, you know, some people could say, "Oh, I can't even have a party in an Airbnb." Like, what if it's just like a chill party where it's just me and my friends hanging out? And it's like, look, the reason parties are banned is because of damage like that that's that's like wholly and solely the reason why if you have a get-together in your airbnb and you don't damage anything then nobody knows and no one knows that it was a party and you're good you're good so here's the easy solution to this having lived next door to an airbnb i can give you a very easy solution to how to have a party in an airbnb Uh have your party have no alcohol. Have it as a dry yep. party. Problem solved. You'll never oh, be in trouble. I got. A, I got a good one too. This is the next one. How to have a party in an Airbnb? Don't go somewhere else to have a party. I guess, and then <laughs> come home and sleep in your Airbnb. Because then also, if your Airbnb is only for sleeping, then you'll get a cheaper Airbnb. Because who cares if you have space to have a party? And just I've got another solution. Oh, here we go. Here's another solution. How to have a party in your Airbnb? Uh huh. For the next month. Uh-huh. It's dry July. 
Oh, there you go. Problem solved. Hey, it's the 1st of July today. Yes. Dry July. Dry July. Of course, we... And then, of course, just extend that to, like, the <laughs> rest of your life. That's what I was about to say. Of course, we here at Faith FM promote dry 2022 <laughs> and beyond. Like, that's you it. know, that's that's what we're about here in the studio. But, hey, that, that's that's an awesome solution. So, guys... You, Robbie, Robbie, have you ever had a party in an Airbnb? Um, if it includes your in-laws, then... Yeah. <laughs> Is that and a party? A two-year-old son and my in-laws at Airbnb, that was probably the biggest party I had. Oh, Sounds yeah. like a wild... Ha- what oh, a it rager. Was, That's we're all tiptoeing around going, don't wake the baby up. <laughs> don't wake the baby <laughs> I think you'll get away. Okay, so here's another way to have a party in an Airbnb. Take a two-year-old. There you yeah. go. Yeah. That, that will, you will never get caught. That's the ultimate party compressor, right there. Like you're not gonna, you're not gonna get out of, uh, you're not gonna get out of shape with a two-year-old in the house. I'm surprised that this is only just becoming a policy now. Like, yep. how yeah. long's Airbnb been around for? I mean, it's been. So actually, as I said, this has been something that's been going on for a while, but kind of restrictions have fully hit now, and that is because during COVID. They already had restrictions like this in place mm. because of the pandemic, like because of COVID. They're like, don't have parties in Airbnbs. And they suddenly realized it was a good idea. Yeah, because f- there's no damage. <laughs> da- like <laughs> complaints about parties went down 44%. Yes. So then they were like, all damage right. Bills this- would have gone through the floor. Yeah, that's right. So they were like, well, well, here we go. And all the Airbnb owners would have been like, this is the best thing ever. Yeah. That's right. Why get rid of this? Please don't get rid of this. Uh-huh. So they but they did. also had no people during the pandemic too, right? So like that was a bit of a so, issue. Yeah. yeah, causation and correlation. Like, is it is it a thing? Yeah. But oh, I can. I, I've I've lived next door to a place that was doing Airbnb. I can tell you exactly where the damage comes from. It's the alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> Plain and simple. True. Take the alcohol out, alcohol out of the equation, and you'll be fine. Mm. And, sure. and and this is one of the things with Airbnbs is you can make your own rules. Mm. Oh, really? Absolutely. If you own the property, you make the rules. I have friends that have done Airbnbs and they just made no alcohol rule. They never had a problem. Mm. Yeah. You know, for me, I used to use Airbnbs, but I found that they're not as cheap as they used to be. Yeah. And it's oh, actually cheaper now to use motels. That's like any interest in industry, it. though. Yeah. It's like whether it's Uber, whether it's Airbnb, whether it's, dude, even like 7 Eleven. I don't know. When 7 Eleven come back in, like, first in back in the day, it was like, oh, like, the fuel there is so cheap because they need customers. But then you grow to a substantial size and then you just take more money because yeah. you've got a customer base. So that's unfortunate. I used an Airbnb in Ethiopia. I think it cost me $9 a night. Really? Yeah, was, was it a, a hut? It was one step up. Yeah. Uh-huh. It was nice. Uh-huh. Nice, for, a nice For hut. Ethiopia. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there you had, go. You know, mud for a lawn. That's awesome. But, it was, oh, it was epic because it was like you were with real people doing real things rather than just being isolated and cut off from society in a hotel. Yeah, I was, I, when I went to Ethiopia, I was just a five-star hotel guy, you know. Yeah. I, was just a, I was just a tourist. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, uh, in the last minute here, I wanted to tell you guys, how much of the ocean floor do you guys think is mapped? Oh, the 20, ocean floor. 20%. Well, if it's anywhere where MH370 disappeared, a lot. So, oh, because oh, they were trying to find it yes. in the in the floor. There's a big chunk that's been mapped, but I would say maybe we go with 15%. Okay, 23%. Uh, okay. I win. Uh, with a plus or minus <laughs> of 15% of oh. information that hasn't been released as a result of keeping commercial and military secrets. 
Well, that's very like Area Fifty One underwater. <laughs> Essentially, like that's that's what this article the, is getting the, at. The Bermuda Triangle. But this is actually, I feel people have realized, like, wait, we're actually pretty deep into this underwater mapping thing, and now all of these different countries and companies are jumping on board from Vietnam to Japan to the United States. Let's finish it, and it's yeah, they they're getting it done. So this is really really cool. I want to know what's underwater. I want to go and hang out there. But- you're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Awesome. Let's have another clue for our another question for our quiz. How old was Jehoash when he became the king of Judah? Okay. Simple, brief. Zero four nine one zero six four six six nine is the number to call or text if you know the answer. And if you do know the answer, then you will go into the draw to win our prize for this week, which is also being drawn this week. It is Thoughts from the Round of Blessings by E.G. White, the amazing, expensive, awesome leather edition that we have. We will give it to you absolutely for free. All you need to do is win the draw, and to win the draw, you need to be in the draw. And to be in the draw, you need to answer the question correctly. So again, that question was, how old was Jehoiash when he became the king of Judah. 0491-064-669. Okay, so I've got a question for you guys this morning as we get into more serious news. Which country in the world do you think uses the most ice? Like, like literal ice or like the drugs? The drugs. Ah, okay. The I was States. going with Antarctica. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are a few places around here that we won't mention on air that are often referred to as being Antarctica because of the amount of ice that yeah, gets used. Yikes. I would say the United States. Yeah, you'd be wrong. It's Australia. Really? Yeah, per- really? Like, like a percentage. A per capita basis. <sighs> Australia uses more ice. Uh, this is out of 24 countries where ice is a major problem. So ice is not a major problem in all countries across the world, but out of 24 developed countries where ice is a major problem, uh, and this is as the result of sewage testing. Okay, so they tested the sewage and they saw, like, is there any traces of methamphetamine in people's... Exactly. Yeah, okay, there you go. And they test the amount that there is and then, of course, the amount of people that are connected to that particular system and they're mm. able to calculate which countries have the highest ice problem and it's Australia out of 24 countries. And this this includes some pretty dodgy countries in Southeast Asia and so forth where there's mm. a major problem with uh, methamphetamines. Mm. And so, yeah, government is yet to respond to this one, but that's pretty tragic news for our country. Incredibly. It Oof. makes sense, though, because, I mean, most regions I've lived and worked in, it's been a problem. Mm. Yes, it's pretty much everywhere you go. It is. Someone, it this is. is a problem. And it's it. a massive problem. It's an incredibly addictive drug. Uh, ice users who are addicted to it usually use it on a daily basis. Some use it on multiple times during the day, mm. and it it's more destructive. You know, I've talked to people in law enforcement who wish that heroin injecting would come back mm. because heroin really? injecting has almost disappeared uh, um, because it's been taken over by ice. But there were so much less problems with heroin than what there was with ice. Had so much less of an effect on people, destroyed lives less, and they're just this thing is horrific. Y- yikes! Like just that sentence. Like I, I wish heroin would come back in place of ice. That is so gnarly. That yep. is so insane. Yeah, that's so. That's the problem here in Australia. Anyway, uh, the next story uh, focuses on whales, humpback whales, and of course oh, yeah. we're in whale season right now. They are heading yeah. up and down the coast, so get out there and see some whales. Uh, rug up. It's going to be a little bit brisk out there when the wind comes up across the water and the spray comes over the bow of the boat. Mm. But you're going to be able to get to see a number of forty thousand humpbacks that are going to travel up and down our coast. 
40,000. I remember as a kid growing up and whales weren't even a thing. What do you, you mean? Never, you never heard about whales. Why? Because there hardly was any. We'd, we'd fished them all out. They were oh, all gone. Yeah. Whales yeah. were unbelievably rare. You can't be that old, seriously. Uh, believe you can't me. Be oh, come I on. Actually, you know, I, I, actually am. I, I remember actually am. whales when I was a kid. I'm not that much younger than you. Yeah, you're 10 years younger than me. <laughs> Lyle was in the book Moby Dick. <laughs> Believe me, that ten years made a huge difference. Uh, Reproductive power of whales, though. It was, it go. was, it was a thing when, when I was growing up. I remember once when a whale was mentioned on the news because it was sighted off the coast of Tasmania. Really? Wow. Was, yeah, but you grew up in Tasmania, right? Yeah, whales go down the coast of Tasmania just like yeah, everyone else. The ones that are. Anyway, we've got friends in Tasmania, the ones who like the cold, the rest of us don't. They go down to Antarctica, they like the cold. Yeah, hey, when I grew up, we would like, my, me and my dad would go here locally to Bar Beach, sit in Bar Beach car park, in the car park. Like, and oh, watch the whales go past. We'd, we have like two pairs of binoculars and we'd watch the whales. It's so sick, like so I grew cool. up near Harvey Bay and that's like whale wow, capital. Heaven. Oh, yeah. wow, yes. there you yeah, go. Yeah. So whales have always been a thing. In mm. fact, on this uh, particular story here, they say, if you go to Harvey Bay... And stick your head in the water. There is every likelihood you, you will hear whales singing. That is so cool. Yes. So this story is actually about uh, whales and whales singing. And so they've got some new research out sh- that shows that whales, which sing very complex tunes, they learn those tunes from whales of other regions. So a whale in a, in a, in a particular region, it sings the songs of its tribe. Oh. But then what happens is when they migrate south. They'll go past New Zealand. When they go past New Zealand, they will intermingle with whales from New Caledonia, humpbacks from New Caledonia. And, of course, they speak French. And so, <laughs> okay, the, Australian, okay. so the Australian whales, as they go past New Zealand, will learn French songs from the New Cal whales and vice versa and start singing them. I don't so, know whether to believe you or not. All right. Like, like obviously, Lyle's <laughs> saying they learn French and they're not speaking okay. French. They but sing whales. if I stick my head under water... But the whales sing different songs. They speak a different language to the Australian whales. If I stick but my head s- underwater and I sing Amazing Grace, mm-hmm. will the whales follow along? Now, that is I s- I'll interesting. To that. Yeah. That, that, is, that is something that I have not seen in research. Like, until that, and maybe, maybe it's not like, you know, it, just sticking my head underwater and singing, that wouldn't be effective. But if I come up with some kind of underwater speaker system and I pitch my voice up to where whales usually hang out, whatever pitch that is, and I sing, like, Amazing Grace, will they, you know, will they respond and say, like, how sweet the sound, like... Okay. If you okay. sing in French. This is, this is, this is interesting. <laughs> this is interesting. You've got you to do it in French. This, you go this whale evangelism right now, this is powerful. But we teach birds how to speak, don't we? I wonder whether uh-huh. you can actually teach a song to whales. Well, if they, if they hear it from something else and copy it, well, then whatever they hear, they're going to copy, right? Okay, so this is research that's coming out from the University of Queensland. Um, the study leader is Jenny Allen. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Dr. Allen says that the whales in East Australia sing a particular song pattern. Mm-hmm. Then the next year, whatever song East Australian whales were singing, the New, Cal- New Caledonian whales will be singing. Mm. And so they can, and the, it changes every year. And so they listen to the Australian ones, and then after they've intermingled down near New Zealand, they'll listen to the New Caledonian ones, and the New Caledonian ones are now singing the Australian songs. Mm. Wow. That's pretty cool. That's awesome. Um, and, of course, 
They travel through their main breeding grounds around the Whitsundays, and this is where they sing the most. Uh-huh. What's interesting is that the females make all kinds of sounds, but it's the males that actually have the songs. Oh. They haven't figured out why yet, whether they're singing for joy and happiness because it's mating season or whether they are singing for, like, I'm a good singer. Attractive so, purposes? Yeah, that's right. Um, I reckon I could solve that problem pretty cheaply and just say what you've just said. <laughs> yeah. I haven't figured it out, really. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Why do guys so sing in front of women? <laughs> like, <laughs> that's so so. That's so funny. I, that just that just makes me think of the church context. And like, you know, why do you, why do you get up to sing up there? Well, to worship God. You know, that's, that's our right. that's our primary purpose. Yes. But yeah. women like good singers. That's. Well, that, that's what that's that's what I heard anyway. That's what you'd be like, hoping. Yeah, single, that's, right? that's, that's what you're hoping, right? Yeah, I really hope so. After the after the after the concert, the concert the other night. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Okay, so that those are a couple of interesting stories that were in the news. I don't know whether I've got time for this next story, but I'm going to have a crack at it. So, mm-hmm. producer Shell might need to give me a little bit of time on this one. Mm-hmm. So, this is something that has been staring me in the face for probably the last thirty years, and I only just saw it. And, is um, it your wife? No. Um, <coughs> I saw her 30 years ago. Uh-huh. Uh, Were you singing? This, this relates to the Cyrus Cylinder. Oh, okay. okay. So you guys are familiar with the Cyrus yes. Cylinder. Yeah. This is a cuneiform cylinder that was found in, um, I believe, in Iraq and is in the British Museum. And it's held in great significance by uh, Bible expositors because of the information that it contains on it about Cyrus restoring temples and restoring gods. Mm. So basically he talks about returning uh, various gods to their original sanctuaries, Uh, and these were gods that Nabonidus had brought to Babylon to hold hostage so that uh, his his people would fight for him because Mm. he did not worship these gods. These were mostly uh, gods of images of Marduk, and his god was Suin, and so because he didn't worship these gods, he's like, okay, and, and the people didn't like him because he was an Assyrian. And so he captured all their gods, took them to Babylon, held them hostage so that they would all fight against the Persians. And, of course, that didn't work. And so when Cyrus the Persian comes along, he restores all of these gods back to their original sanctuaries and their original temples, and he mm. rebuilds their temples, and he writes about it because he's basically writing about how good he is. He's like, I'm amazing, I'm wonderful, I'm incredible. Now, as a part of this, uh, one of the temples that was restored was the temple that was in Jerusalem. Mm. And the Bible records how Cyrus gave command to restore the temple that was in Jerusalem. And so we read on the Cyrus cylinder, we're like, yes, this fits with what we know from history. Mm. And so it becomes significant from that particular perspective. What is interesting about this is that the temple that was restored in Jerusalem is entirely unique for a couple of perspectives. Number one, every other temple that Cyrus restored was a temple of Marduk. Mm. Number two, every other temple that Cyrus restored was a temple that was in the Babylonian-Persia border region. Mm. So he was trying to obviously win favour with the Babylonians whom he had just conquered and say, look, I have uh, have rescued you. I have delivered you from Nabonidus who was making you worship this other god called Suin, this this Assyrian moon god. But Judah is on the frontier of the Persian Empire at this particular point. It's like way in the distance. Mm. And so why does this particular city and this particular god, Yahweh, 
get a command to rebuild and restore their temple and so forth. Uh, and you can read about it in Ezra chapter 1 where Cyrus says this, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? God be with him. Go to Jerusalem and do it. Mm. That's what Cyrus says. Now, I was reading part of the inscription of the Cyrus Center the other day and something jumped out at me that I hadn't seen before because the passage in Ezra, Cyrus says, God has commanded me to do this. Well, how does he know that God has commanded him to do that? Mm. Well, you would assume that that is because he was shown and would have been shown because the Jews would have been highly motivated to show him the prophecy of Isaiah written 150 years beforehand that mentions Cyrus and says that Cyrus will rebuild the temple. Mm. They would be. We would expect that if you were a Jewish person and if you were in a position of authority, you would take this to Cyrus and say, "Oh, look here, you know." Um, <clears throat> but do we have cooperation of that in historical sources? You go on in the in the in the Cyrus cylinder. It says this: He, and at this point, it's an unnamed god. It's all about Marduk until this point, but here it just says He. It's almost like as if the name of the god was missed out not included because he doesn't want to offend the Babylonians, mm. but it's just like he. Mm. So he, the unnamed God, inspected and checked all the countries seeking the upright hand of Cyrus, king of the city of Anshan, and called him by name, proclaiming him aloud by name for kingship over everything. He made the land of Guti and all the Median troops prostrate themselves at his feet while he shepherded in justice and righteousness for the black-headed people who he put under his care. There's four points that jump out to me right there. Number one, the right hand of Cyrus. Cyrus called by name. Cyrus given kingship over all the nations. And Cyrus being a shepherd. Mm. Because when you read Isaiah 44 and 45, the Bible says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, whose right hand I have held Mm. to subdue nations before him. I have called you by name. I have surnamed you, though you have not known me. Here you've got a situation where Cyrus has copied from Isaiah. Mm. He has borrowed from Isaiah and written it into his cuneiform tablet. And it just, I'd never actually seen that on the cylinder before. I'd seen the other aspects, but this aspect, it was just like, that's pretty cool. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. We're about to have the next question for our quiz. Lawson's going to bring it to you. Complete this verse. Blessed are the poor in spirit for... I nearly completed it. Yeah, yeah. I (laughs) I nearly completed it. I was just like, hold that in, hold that in. I was nearly gave the whole thing away. Listen, guys, you need to answer this question correctly. If you do, you'll go into the draw to win Thoughts from the Mount of Blessings, this awesome, expensive leather edition we had. In fact, I've got people texting me, asking me to rig the quiz so that they can win. So they want to say that. <laughs> so, so, guys, please, 0491-064-669 is the number to call a text. Again, that clue was complete this verse. Blessed are the poor in sport, spirit for... Blank. If you know, I've got a bunch of text messages actually coming through. My phone's going off. That's awesome. So straight after the news, we're going to get to all of those text messages. And uh, if you've got something you'd like to share, then please send it through because we would love to hear from you. 
All right, 0491064669 is the number to call if you want to either answer the quiz or send us a message to discuss any of the subjects that we have talked about this morning. But joining us on the phone right now is Eliza Southwell to talk about history. Eliza, welcome to the show. It's great to be here, Lyle. Eliza, what part of the history of the church in the wilderness are we talking about today? Today we're talking about the Church of the East, um, sometimes called the Assyrian Church, sometimes called the Chaldean Church, um, the church that ranged from Palestine to China and had its headquarters in Seleucia, so near Babylon. Um, it's often incorrectly called the Nestorian Church. Some some of our viewers might have heard of the Nestorian Heresy, which is an anti-Trinitarian um, variant, um, and it's often branded with um, as as anti-Trinitarians and, oh, we don't need to worry about those, but that's, it was um, much more complicated than that. And uh, it was called, they were called heretics actually by the church in Rome so that the Roman church could write them off. And yeah, so they could, they could uh, acquire to themselves more political power and sway over the That's world. It. It's a fairly, it's a fairly old story. Interesting that you should bring up this particular subject today. We've got uh, our content our content manager uh, Robbie Bergen here in the studio, who spent a lot of time in Asia mm. um, and studying uh, the history of Christianity in Asia. We were just talking about it off air before you came on, but <laughs> you know, when we think of the history of Christianity. Christianity today is seen as being a European religion and very few people actually stop to think that it's actually, in its origins, it's an Asian religion. It wasn't until quite a long way into the history of Christianity that it actually first crossed into uh, Europe. It went to Africa before it went to Europe. Well, Christianity spread very quickly with with the apostles. Um, By the end of the first century, it was all over the place. Yes. Um, but certainly, um, Christianity you know, is originated in the Middle East and certainly um, didn't, well, the apostles wasted no time in um, sending the gospel to Africa and through Asia, um, as well as into Greece and, and the rest of Europe. So, how far into Asia? Did the gospel penetrate? <laughs> that oh, that is one of the one of the questions that is most difficult to figure out. We know that we have good evidence of interactions with um, with Hinduism in India, so um, we we have Hinduism actually responded to um, the incoming gospel, which which was so powerful, was, was changing the political sphere of India so much that Hinduism invented Krishna. Um, so uh, the gospel went into India, but we also have evidence that it went as far as China. And, of course, China in, in those days extended uh, right up to the Caspian Sea. Um, but Christianity also strongly influenced Buddhism, um, so, uh, but that's a bit of a long story. So let me back it up a little bit. Um, so the, the church in the East is an umbrella term for um, a variety of churches. So there were, um, if you think about church structure, you have your local pastor and then over your local pastor, you have 
um, a a council of um, a, a regional council of elders, if you like, mm-hmm. and then over that regional council, leading that council, you have a bishop. And so there were bishops of of there was a bishop in Syria, there was a bishop in Babylon, there was there were bishops all over the place, and then over the top of those bishops, in in the two hundreds AD, um, there was appointed a supreme head of the church in the east because the church in the east was dealing with a couple of a couple of big problems that they needed to um, they needed to address on a on a unified front. One of those problems was growing the work in the east and and the um, the state opposition of other religions to the work of the gospel in the east. So it wasn't just in Europe with with the Roman Church that the gospel was facing state opposition. It was also it was also among the Persians with Zoroastrianism. Would one of the reasons that Christianity is being is is today seen as being a European religion is because it was in Europe where it really first became a state religion. Whereas in the East, it was more a religion that existed in the state rather than a religion of the state. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And in the East, um, state religions are very common. State religions are basically universal among all cultures. Um, you often had societies that where the king was God or where the king was the high priest, and it was no different in the East. Um, Zoroastrianism was uh, the the emperor of Persia was not the high priest, but Zoroastrianism was the state religion, and uh, it was the state religion of Persia. It also existed in Rome and Germany, but um, Zoroastrianism was very um, very protective of its turf against the gospel. Mm. Much like pagan so, Rome was initially as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and so you have this religion in Persia, which also influenced Buddhism because the Persians invaded um, invaded India under Darius the Great. Um, so Zoroastra is thought to have actually been a student of Daniel the prophet. Um, but he... Um, you know, set up his own. There, there are some very interesting uh, parallels between Zoroastrianism and Scripture. In fact, Zoroaster, Zoroastrianism claims to be an Abrahamic religion, and so that influenced Buddhism. And um, Buddhism went on to that. That opened a door for the gospel into India. So you've got a bit of a chain of of uh, religions going on here that makes um, each each group has vested interests and different people writing the history and different people rewriting history. And so it, the, the Church of the East has tended to be shrouded in a lot of mystery because there are um, so many different opinions about what might have been. But what we know for sure, what we know for sure is that the gospel reaches India, reaches in power, and people's 
lives are, are practically converted. Um, Romans 12, verse 2 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that is what happened in the church in the East. Unlike the church in Rome that said, Oh, these pagans will never change. We'd better be more accommodating. Um, an opinion that we're still here today. Unlike that, the church in the East said, No, the gospel is transformative. And we don't have to be um, insecure. We don't have to make room for or make allowances for um, the, the accepted cultural sins of the people we're trying to reach. Parthians stopped taking two wives. Christian uh, Jewish Christians stopped being circumcised. Bactrians didn't um, practice promiscuity with strangers. Persians stopped being incestuous. Um, Me- the Medes didn't desert their dying relations or bury them alive. Christians in Odessa didn't kill their wives or sisters who who um, for for honor killings. And so the the gospel everywhere it went changed cultures and and dramatically changed the the actions of the people that that accepted the gospel. And I think there's some interesting aspects to this this, uh, this piece of history <clears throat> that help us to understand it a little bit better. One of them is, of course, that this is uh, following one of the greatest trade routes in the world, otherwise known as the Spice Route. Mm-hmm. And so you see Christianity spreading out across through the trade routes. The other thing that jumps out to my mind is that because you've got a church in the West that becomes a state religion and becomes the state religion of many great and powerful nations and the Holy Roman Empire and so forth... It is those who are in power who get to write and to record the history. And the history of this church in the East is very, very different from the history of the church in the West. The religion of the church in the East was very, very different from the religion of the church in the West. Mm. And so as the West comes to have influence over the East, uh, there would be a lot of motivation to rewrite the history of the church in the East and try and incorporate it somehow into the church in the West. But, of course, you can never entirely do that. No, no. And and the Roman approach was basically to ignore the church in the East. And you know, the Roman church had plenty of other things it was dealing with in Europe. And so it didn't really need another distraction. Um, and so it was very convenient for them to just ignore the, excommunicate the church in the East and ignore them and brand them as heretics. And anyone who um, said otherwise was a troublemaker. And, and so it was very... It, it wasn't, we're not talking about a grand conspiracy to hide the truth of the Church of the East. We're talking about small decisions over time to ignore them, to spurn them, to relegate them to the dustbin of history. Mm. And, of course, you know, you've got a tremendous amount of separation that takes place and you get these this isolation in many ways where you've got Christians in the Far East. I mean, you, th- you come down to the time period of, of Genghis Khan, which is, you know, a lot of years in the, mm. in the future of where you're talking about, but you've mm-hmm. got uh, the record of, you know, very large groups of Christians in Mongolia, and it's not until Genghis Khan invades the West that the West suddenly realises, oh, there's some Christians over there, and sends, you know, a delegation, mm-hmm. oh, you need to obey the Pope, and they've gone, like, who's yeah. the Pope? <laughs> yeah. What are you talking about? Uh, and, and we get these snippets that come down through history to reveal 
just how large and influential Christianity actually was during this time period. Mm, yes. And I think one of the reasons that we know so much about the European side of things is, well, our historians can read Latin and the records were made in Latin and in German and in French and in Italian and we can read those languages. Uh, but the Mongolian languages, those are out of reach for most of our historians. And so we just don't know. We're, they're not accessible to us. And um, furthermore, the records that we have in Europe from the Roman church are preserved for us. Yes, they're definitely far more extensive than what you can obtain in, you know, somewhere like Mongolia. Mm. Mm. It's not that the Mongolian Christians didn't write or didn't make records, but... If you think about that area of the world and how tumultuous, um, you know, we've been talking about Genghis Khan, um, records are lost during wars. Yes. And records are lost with violence. And so, of course, we, we don't, we don't, we, those records have just been lost. And of course, Genghis um, Khan, I mean, he was just a serial arsonist who just burnt the whole world down. <laughs> Well, he was he was a bit more sophisticated than that, but yes, he is certainly by by our by our standards of war, he was a horrific, brutal murderer. Um, and and many of if if cities didn't uh, capitulate to him immediately, then he would do he would wreak terrible havoc. In those cities, and that's and that's never healthy for the uh, the preservation of records. No, Eliza, all the spread of the gospel. Yes, well, indeed, all the spread of the gospel. Eliza has been fascinating to uh, just scratch the surface of the history of the church in the East, and to just you know, for us to take a moment to consider it, its extent as uh, as it spread out into the East. Uh, we're going to move on with the show. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at one eight hundred Faith FM.